The Athletic. Totally football show. Twas the pod before Christmas and everything was stirring in football's house with fixtures arriving thick and fast like Dominic Rab on a reindeer and cup games with more gifted kids than Santa's to-do list. We'll be wrapping it all up for you today on this Totally Football Show Ho Ho in association with Paddy Power. Yeah, listener, December 23rd, eh? Woohoo! Here we go. We've got Duncan Alexander and Adrian Clark and a big hello to Nick Miller today on Tootie Football Show. All right, fellas. Hello. Jingle bells. Yeah, season's greetings. Absolutely. It is, it's a special time of year, isn't it? You can be as cynical as you like, You're sick of the way it's become commercialised, but there's something about the Carabao Cup quarterfinals that just <laughs> melts the heart. It's cliche to be uh, cynical about Christmas, as uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit once said. Wow, yeah. So true, so true. Uh, uh, Carabao Cup, though, we were being a little bit, uh, well, snarky about it the other day. Yeah, that I believe was upsetting. The... <laughs> um... the Carabao Cup is now, the, the quarterfinals and semifinals of the Carabao Cup are now some of the best bits of, a, of, a, of the football season. Yeah, it's why what... is that? Because... I think sort of 10, 15 years ago, Premier League teams didn't take it seriously. And, you know, Arsene Wenger used to get criticised for playing the kids, etc. But mm. now it's actually something that I think a lot of teams, Liverpool may be accepted, a lot of teams want to win. Um, and if you get through to this stage, they start to take it pretty seriously. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, some of the games in recent memory at this stage have been brilliant. So, And also that, that week just before Christmas has got a little bit of a sort of exciting pre-holiday feel to it so yeah. yeah maybe they should have a whole round of Premier League fixtures there that would really two why not Adrian you a fan of the wild innocence of the Carabao Cup quarterfinals <laughs> absolutely yeah no, I love to see it I like seeing the younger players come in and shine I really do it's it's awesome and obviously Arsenal will get to that surely Eddie Nketiah he's barely had a kick this season yet he comes in and all of a sudden he's worth Forty million pounds, or he's going to be Arsenal's next main striker. It's you get good stories in the Carabao Cup because players emerge, and we've seen a lot, a lot of youngsters shine this week. Mm. By the way, welcome back from your holidays. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. it was so good. Um, I'm, yes, it was like Don't chalk and cheese All right. All right, <laughs> coming back into the UK from uh, from the Maldives. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're happy for you, uh, Nick. Do you want to just pitch in with more Carabao Cup enthusiasm? Uh, yeah, well, it's not 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 so much enthusiasm. More oh. that uh, it was about ten minutes ago last night. It looked like there was going to be quite a sort of interesting semi-final lineup. There's uh, there's Brentford nil, Chelsea nil, and Leicester were winning. And now it's kind of, I mean, you know, there'll be some good games in the semi-final. Um, but you it's know. the it's the European finals from 2019 mixed up. What more do you want? Europe will be a gog at this. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. The Carabao Cup is taking its lead from the um, nascent Super League, of course. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> Florentino what, what, Perez is going to present the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get on to the Carabao Cup very shortly. It wasn't the only high-level drama that we were enjoying this week. There was also a big meeting of the Suits on Monday, which at the time, it felt like, might see that midweek round next week 
postponed, but instead that'll be going ahead. Uh, Nick, what are the headlines from the big meeting on Monday? Um, well, no, no headlines at all, really, because everything ah. is going ahead as planned. Um, right. At the moment, the, the Premier clubs have been advised that if they have 13 fit players plus a goalkeeper, they should just kind of stop whining and crack on with it. But um, a couple of teams at the time of recording, anyway, have already fallen foul of that um, with uh, Leeds against Liverpool and uh, Watford Wolves being called off. Um, we're recording this at sort of lunchtime on Thursday, so maybe um, there will be more to come. But um, yeah, that's the state of play at the moment. There is a meeting of uh, Premier League managers and captains at some point on Thursday, so um, whether anything substantive is going to actually come out of that i'm not sure but the um you you may well know the results of that by the time uh, everyone listens to this mm. a couple of changes that were uh, decreed on monday fa cup replays for the third and fourth round have been scrapped carabao cup semi-finals might return to being one-legged affairs and also sporting events in wales will be behind closed doors yeah, uh, and obviously the Scottish Premiership winter break has been full as well. Um, the Wales thing uh, introduces a, a slight curio because Chester playing the right. National League North, their, their ground, the Devia Stadium, is right on the border of England and Wales. The pitch and the stands are in Wales, but the offices are just over the border in England, so technically they are governed, even though they will actually be in Wales, <laughs> technically they are governed by the... Um, the rules in England, so they'll be the the only ground in actually in Wales that will be able to have fans for their game on Tuesday. I think it's right. Yeah, Tuesday they're at home to filed. Yeah, mm. crikey, be interesting to see how that one plays out. Going back to the thirteen fit players plus a keeper decision, I, mm. I really do welcome it. it. There should not be any games called off really under that criteria, should there? In the Premier League. I think almost every club, if not every club, is paying multiple thousands of pounds a week to at least 30 or more players. You know, they give five grand a week to their reserves, don't they? So, you know, if if, if you're out there in that much money... You sound angry fresh, about that, Adrian, as well, a reserve. Yeah, slightly, yeah. When it was, it was 500 for me. <laughs> the, um, yeah, when, you, when you're laying out that much money on, on professional players... They're good enough to play in the Premier League. So there shouldn't be any games off moving forwards. Every club out there has about 60 pros these days. There's no mm. excuse. I, I hear what you're saying, Adrian, but do you not feel that it massively falsifies the outcome of the league if you if you basically midway through suddenly start mixing it up with people's beating? But, but you, teams get injury crisis as well, don't they? I mean, Le- Leeds not have down got, to 13 fit players. No, but Leeds Maybe have got, Liverpool should... Rerun last season from having no central <laughs> defenders. Leeds have got half of their, or more than half of their first team out. No one feels yeah. sorry for them. And none of it's COVID related, is it? So I, I just kind of think we have to accept it as part of, um, like an injury. In that spirit, we've got Duncan here, who is COVID related mm. and is, is just battling through. So have That's some true. of that, Jordan Henderson. Yeah. Well, the podcast rules, you've got to have at least two guests with, with COVID. So we're all right. They have to battle on. But, you know, I'm not saying I'm a hero, but if other people want to say that, that's, that's up to them. But I would like right. to see a Venn diagram of people that eulogise Aston Villa for winning the league using only 14 players and then also moan this Christmas about their team missing players because, as Adrian says, you can't have it two ways. Hashtag perspective.
All right, that's enough chit-chat. Let's hear about the Carabao Cup. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Diogo Jota, Liverpool's goal-scoring hero, does it and sends Liverpool into the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. Woo! Carabao Cup quarter-finals saw Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs... A diverse bunch making their way to the semi-finals. Game of the midweek was surely the extraordinary 3-3 draw between Liverpool and Leicester, which ended 5-4 on penalties to Liverpool. And lads, Jurgen Klopp's fallen in love with his team all over again. The romance of of Wednesday night, though, Leicester going 2-0 up in the first quarter of an hour. It was 3-1 after half an hour. 20 minutes to go. Liverpool are still 3-1 behind. And then Diogo Jota makes it 3-2. And they equalise in the 95th minute through Minamino. And then it looks like Minamino himself has blown it with his spot kick in, in, in the shootout. But but uh, Ryan Bertram blows it for Leicester. And then Jota finishes it off. Anyway, extraordinary stuff. It really was. It was an absolute belter, wasn't it? And it was kind of ironic that... that it was Ryan Bertrand that, that missed the penalty in the end because at 3-1 up when Leicester were absolutely flying, he went quite defensive, Brendan Rodgers. He made a change. I think Soonchi was injured, but he also decided to take off Kinnan Dewsbury Hall, who was having a really, really good game. He came off and Bertrand came on and basically he went back to a back five. And he's taken a bit of stick for that. Uh, in in the local media and among Leicester fans for basically inviting pressure because that's what they did. And his reasoning, and he was very staunch about this after the game, was that, oh, no, 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 no. We we had to do this because um, Vestergaard is a very different type of centre-back to Soyuncu, has different qualities. And for that reason, I couldn't play him alongside Ndidi as a centre-half with a right winger at right back. So in a roundabout way, what he was saying is that Vestergaard, the player he, he, he spent a lot of money on not so long ago, can't play in a back four. So huh. it's... it's it, and, and having watched him earlier in the season, actually, at home to Burnley, I'd probably go along with that. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. But, but yeah, he was basically saying that Vestergaard can't be trusted in a back four. Vestergaard's played in quite a lot of 9 0 defeats, which for me is a bit of a red flag as well. So, I mean, that Ndidi at centre half thing didn't work because Minamino's equaliser basically came from him completely misjudging a ball into the box and sort of jumping up, missing it, and it just basically landing with Minamino, who finished really well, but Ndidi knew straight away what, what he'd done. So, In, in defence of Brendan, his hand was rather forced by the fact that he lost two uh, defenders in this game, uh, Soyonshu and, and, and Pereira. Uh, but a lot of people did feel that the attitudes, and particularly the, the time-wasting shenanigans, uh, invited this kind of karmatic retribution uh, come the end of the game. But if you name pretty much the strongest team you can, and Jurgen Klopp uses the uh, Carabao Cup as a sort of way to express existential pain about fixture congestion, <laughs> which which isn't going to be good given they've now potentially got two, maybe three more games, and you go 3-1 up at Anfield and James Madison's knee sliding in front of the cop, then you really do need to win the game. Um, and also, you saw in the shootout, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but um, 
you know, Schmeichel didn't make a save. All the <clears> the Liverpool miss came from blasting it over Minamino. And, and Thielemann, there was a lovely moment when Thielemans was sort of pointing really aggressively to where he thought a player was going to shoot. And, and Schmeichel did dive that way, but didn't get to it. So it's a massive, it's again with Leicester. I know, I know they won their FA Cup, but they do keep getting into these good positions and sort of, sort of blowing a chance to add more trophies. Just on the Schmeichel and the penalty shootout, it was quite enjoyable how when someone is that alpha about things, he was really sort of giving it the big one to uh, trying to intimidate um, all the Liverpool penalty takers and the, didn't save a single one of them and <laughs> got beaten. I was reminded of that he tried that in the World Cup a, a few years ago against um, Australia and after yeah. Mila Jedinak scored... And after the game, um, one of the, some journalists said to Jedinak, "Oh, were you kind of intimidated by Schmeichel's antics?" And Jedinak, who's about six foot four, kind of massive chest and big beard, kind of puffed his chest out and said, "Did I look like I was intimidated by it?" So yeah, <laughs> it was particularly enjoyable to see someone like that um, to lose a penalty shootout. It feels like something that Peter Schmeichel took him out into a snowy field at Christmas <laughs> and taught him when he was a kid, but he never quite got through, and he's never quite been able to do it properly. Yeah, some some, some sort of uh, Rocky esque training camp. Yeah. As Peter just yelling at him from uh, from three feet away, and Casper's never quite managed to nail it. And, and on the flip side, Kelleher was like the most understated of yeah. keepers, wasn't he? He just he, he was like, yeah, whatever, it's it's fine, you know. I've made well, it helps with him that he doesn't look. He looks rather like a supporter who's donned the jersey or sort of wandered onto the pitch in a replica shirt, um, but yet performed brilliantly. Really don't know what it appeals to me about a, a beta male overcoming the the alpha and <laughs> having been kind of you know tried to be bullied on the on the on a football pitch. Yeah, not sure. Um, just on the subject of Liverpool's kind of constant stream of of new youngsters and their upcoming award for services to Wikipedia, but a Billy Cometti starting on Wednesday means that Liverpool have now used fourteen academy graduates uh, this season alone. That's remarkable stuff. Uh, they play Arsenal, as you say. Extra fixtures for them. Uh, semi-finals coming up the first and second week of January. Crikey. They'll be playing the Gunners on the 4th of January. That's only two days after they have a Premier League visit to Chelsea. Jurgen Klopp said after the, uh, you know, we mentioned the uh, Carabao Cup semi-finals possibly just being one leg before, but he was very happy. to. He was just saying that, yeah, just make it one leg. If if we have to go to Arsenal and play, I'm perfectly happy with that. So um, mm. whether whether that will happen, whether they can do that at this kind of late stage of the competition, uh, I don't know. But Klopp seems perfectly happy to go along with it. Right. Do Liverpool have a good record against Arsenal at all, particularly? Well, they're always classics. Yeah, there's always goals yeah. in the games. There was a five-aller in the Carabao mm. Cup at Anfield not, not so long ago. Joe Willock scored a belter but but Arsenal lost there was that games. Julio Baptiste game as well wasn't there I seem yeah. to recall so. yeah it's a, it's had a few classics the Charlie mm-hmm. Nicholas final of course back in 87 well if we're going to talk about classic Carabao Cup stroke League Cup performances by the Arsenal what about the time they won this competition when you were at the club, Adrian? 1993. <laughs> yeah. I know. They haven't won it since. It's a remarkable. Yeah, I was I was mm. either in the youth I think I was in the youth team at the time. Yeah, I went to the went to the final and your job was to make sure Steve Morrow didn't get hurt, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he yeah. failed. Um yeah, he it was remarkable because he never ever scored. He he never scored a goal. He never got anywhere near the so box. He, he scored the winner in this final, which was against Sheffield Wednesday. And then what happened? And then in the celebrations afterwards, um, Tony Adams, I think, hoiked him onto his shoulders to celebrate. And, you know, what a hero. It was Stevie Morrow's big moment because he was only ever really a fringe fringe player. He was more of a reserve than the first teamer there. And 
it, it was a special moment for him. Instantly ruined when Tony dropped him and he landed on his shoulder and, and yeah, he busted his arm really badly. Jesus. And he was out for a long, long time. I think he was on oxygen. I, I spoke to, who was it? It was David Hillier recently about that. And he said that, that there was zero celebrations after the game. Like they were meant to go out and, and, and have a bit of a bit of a sort of knees up or a, a banquet of sorts. And uh, and it was all off because everyone was like really worried about Steve Morrow. It was, uh, yeah, it was bizarre. Mm-hmm. As a youth team right. player, were you allowed to sign his cast or was that just something that was limited to the <laughs> you know, seniors? No. Special privileges? No, that was, that was way above my pay grade at, at that <laughs> stage, yeah. Adrian, tell us about Arsenal's 5-1 win this Tuesday over Sunderland. You were particularly thrilled with Eddie and Ketter, as you were saying earlier, and his third goal. Oh, it was a beaut, wasn't it? It was an absolute beaut. It started with Leno and they played the ball out the pitch really nicely. Lovely split, uh, defence splitting pass from Erdegaard for, for Pepe. Beautiful Megs. We all love to see a Megs, don't we? And it, it was a it was a, a really embarrassing one for the Sunderland defender. And, and yeah, the, 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 the back flick finish. It was from all of seven yards out, which is kind of long range for Eddie Nketiah. He, his average goal distance before this game was 5.8 yards. So um, <laughs> given that the other two were inside the six-yard box, that's probably probably stayed the same. So yeah, he's a, he's a proper penalty box poacher. And what struck me during those celebrations was how muted he was. Normally, you'll, you'll recall he does the whole phone thing and, 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 and there's a beaming smile, but he was very muted. And that, that does make me think that, well, he's, he's not happy because he, right. he wants more game time. And I think Arteta's gone on record as saying, we, we've offered him a new contract, we want him to stay, but he wants to play more. So, so yeah, watch this space, I guess. It, he's either sort of raised the fee or it might not be that surprising if Mikel Arteta now started to rotate him with Alexander Lacazette as the main striker, given what's happening with the Bamiang. Yeah, absolutely. Out of contract in the summer in Ketia. Very good. Uh, the other semi-final, meanwhile, we'll see Tottenham Hotspur face Chelsea with Antonio Conte against his former club, of course. And Nick, Spurs, uh, two one-winners over West Ham on Wednesday. A fair result? Um... I suppose it was a, uh, a fair result, although Tottenham did score the two goals against the run of play, which I thought was um, I hadn't seen happen too many times before. But then, as someone pointed out to me on uh, on Twitter, did you not see Spurs play under Mourinho? Which is, you know, is, hmm. I suppose is a um, a fair point. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it was just a sort of continuation of their improvement under Conte. I mean, it was, it was the game was great fun, but. They seemed like it seems a sort of a bit more of a controlled performance, and certainly one with um, fewer kind of clanking mistakes than against Liverpool. Although uh, Eric Dyer did um, kind of pretty much give the ball away. The new uh, Pirlo. Yeah, well, apparently, yeah, apparently so. But um, even the great men like uh, Dyer and Pirlo uh, make mm. mistakes occasionally. All right, uh, Adrian, can you just um, talk me through what to make of the? The, 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 this revelation about Eric Dyer and how he's set to become, I could say Peel a bit, more Bonucci-esque, you know, for anyone who's, well, I'm going with the Serie A reference, actually I do, but anyway, yeah, as this kind of incredibly visionary, long-range pass pinging centre-back. Honestly, I I don't know if Conte had been on the mould wine or, or not, <laughs> but I'd just be staggered if, if Eric Dyer could in a few years become one of London's best central defenders let alone one of the world's best I mean if he does then Conte is more of a magician than than we realise it's yeah it was 
a ludicrous quote. Absolutely ludicrous. He's, yeah, he's got limitations, Eric Dyer. Yeah, he can ping a ball. He, he can ping a ball. And he's, yeah, he's a technically decent player. But at centre-half, I've, I've never fancied him, really. I think he's a little bit of a liability. But but look, Conte is is the man that sees him every day in training, isn't he? So, mm. so I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm prepared to have egg on my face in, in a couple of years' time. But it wouldn't surprise me if Dyer wasn't in the Spurs team in, in, in a year or two's time. I, don't, I just don't think he's that good. Could be at, what, Man City by then, do you think? Or <laughs> Real? <laughs> yeah. Do you? I mean, if anyone can turn uh, Dyer into Benucci or Baresi or whoever, then it, you know, it may be Conte. He's already performed one kind of minor miracle. I don't know if anyone else saw this kind of mad graphic that was on Sky during the game but um, uh, Spurs have gone from under Nuno being the the, the 20th ranked Premier League team in terms of distance covered to the first ranked yeah um, extraordinary just shows how a scary Italian man can make you run for it, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's true isn't it essentially yeah it is true it is true I maybe mean football football is about to... running guys football is about running it's, yeah, the skill and, and, and shooting, you need to be able to pass, etc., etc. But if you can run harder than the person you're up against, it does give you a big advantage. And yet they Spurs look just, they look faster, don't they? And, and, and you, you wouldn't imagine that players have gained pace. But this is the point, isn't it? That when managers don't work out for a club, it's because they can't convince their players to go that extra mile. You know, it's that, anyone who's watched The Sopranos, it's that bit where Richie April can't convince the bosses and, and Junior says he, he couldn't convince them. And and I always think that when, when a manager loses the dressing room, that, that's the same point. And, 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 Conte, and look what happened to Richie April. Exactly, yeah. So Well, I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen Sopranos, let's leave that there. <laughs> I um, mean, he, he was a huge success and he went on to lead the family. As I say... Anyway, I was just going to mention about the Hammers being without their entire first-choice back four, which was also a significant advantage to, to Spurs in this game. Yes, and I think we should also praise West Ham's progression as a, as a club under Moyes because this was you know, two of London's biggest teams going head-to-head in a quarter-final. And, and West Ham, you know, they had a pass completion rate of like nearly 87%. They dominated the ball. Declan Rice looked you know, like a world-class midfielder and, and they could have easily have, have won this game, um, I think. And, and yeah, they went out, but it, it shows their progression. It wasn't just kind of plucky West Ham trying to sort of nick a result away at away at Spurs they they looked like one of the the Premier League's best teams and um yeah they'll be disappointed but I think it augurs well for the for the rest of the season and I think Jared Bowen possibly is the better option than Antonio as the as the main forward now interesting a lovely goal mm. there was also a um a, a some nice moment in, in the game where Spurs were counter-attacking a thing and Bowen brought down uh, Reggian off the ball and there was a sort of very very low rent version of uh, Zidane sending off in the 2006 World Cup final because the referee didn't see it at all and the the uh, assistants apparently didn't see it at all either and he got a little word in his ear from the fourth official who said nah, no you need to bring it back and book him so having kind of right. waved play on about 30 seconds later he brought it back and, uh, and, and booked Bowen. Full circle from the, the the moment which was the genesis, the birth of, of VAR, supposedly. Mm. Mm. One other thing in this game, we saw Ariola have a header in the opposition box right at the end, which is always nice to see a opposition goalkeeper going up and winning the ball. 
And Lloris not only hung on to the ball and he could have smashed it downfield, but you know he respected both the, the clock and the goalkeeper's union, which is lovely to see. That is nice. Spurs through to face Chelsea, who were 2-0 winners over Brentford. Both goals coming in the last 10 minutes. Pontus Janssen own goal and then Chelsea awarded a penalty, which Jorginho converted after his recent travails from the spot. Uh, Chelsea, with a much-changed team from their draw at Wolves, getting a rare victory. We'll talk more about both those clubs in the course of today's Super Soraway Festive Totally Football show. Uh, next up, it's Premier League. Hi, listeners. How are you? I'm Carl Mullen from Paddy Power. We're only days now away from the feeding frenzy that is Christmas. Get the sweatpants ready for Boxing Day, where Paddy will give you guys a free five quid bet builder bet on any match in the Premier League. What's a bet builder? Well, it's when you can combine a bunch of different markets from within the same game all into the one bet. So producer Charlie and I have racked our brains, sisters, and picked out a festive bet builder for you. We are looking at the Man City-Leicester game and have started off safe enough with a Man City win at 6-1 on. The last four games between the sides at the Etihad in the league have been 5-2 to Leicester, 3-1 to City, 1-0 to City and 5-1 to City. And we foresee plenty more goals between these two sides again. So putting both teams to score, yes, in the bet builder was a no-brainer at 17-20. to we also have been convinced that over 2.5 goals looks a winner too, at odds of 4-11, to 11, considering it's clicked in three of the last four Premier League encounters at Eastlands. I can't help but think of Mara's step-over and PlayStation-esque finish back in the spring of 2016 in Leicester's title-winning season, and I see these two go at it. So it was a close one between Mara's and, of course, the prolific Foxes striker Jamie Vardy in terms of an anytime goal scorer cherry on top for this bet builder. But it's the Algerian international Mara's with 11 goals this season that we're going to go for, so Mara's anytime against his former club, and that brings the bet builder to just over 3-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, so Boxing Day, or December the 26th, fixture list looking like this. First of all, the two games that were scheduled to be early on at 12.30, Liverpool, Leeds and Wolves Watford are both postponed. Hopefully, or not, depending on your point of view, Adrian, the rest of the matches will be going ahead. Thusly, at 3 o'clock, West Ham, Southampton, Spurs Palace, Norwich, Arsenal, Man City, Leicester and Burnley, Everton. Then tea time, it's Aston Villa, Chelsea before the evening closes with a bit of a treat. The Patrick Swayze double bill on Channel 5. You've got Dirty Dancing, and that's followed by, in my mind, the superior film Roadhouse. Have you seen that one, Nick? Have you seen Roadhouse? I haven't, no. Should I? He plays I... a bouncer at a roadhouse, a kind of a titular drinking establishment in some... I'm not sure where. Anyway, he's a rough-and-ready type, but with a heart of gold, and he... I'm not... I shouldn't say anything more about the nurse who patches him up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> because you know spoilers hey, mm. I've I enjoyed Roadhouse tremendously tremendously uh, oh well, I say that's coming up but there's also football you can see Brighton Brentford the birds and the bees if you will mm. 
And there's a game on Monday as well, which is Newcastle against Man United. But we won't talk about that because we've got a show on Monday. Adrian, as a player, Boxing Day, did you love it or were you more of kind of Jordan Henderson, think of our welfare type? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I loved it because... It was my sort of greatest day as a professional footballer was on Boxing Day. So was it? Yeah, it was my full debut for Arsenal. Uh, fell at noon kickoff, nineteen ninety five. Arsenal against QPR, and yeah, it was, we won three 0 and had a really good game. And yeah, it was just yeah a day I'll never forget. But what what sort of made when did it, you find out you were starting? Not until I got there. Yeah, and <laughs> and I definitely overindulged on on Christmas Day. I'd. I'd had a couple of glasses of wine. I'd I'd gone for seconds, I think, on the Christmas uh, on the Christmas pudding. I love Christmas pudding, and yeah, I hadn't really held back because I'd been an unused sub in the previous game at Liverpool. So I thought I'll probably be on the bench again. It'll be fine. I'll have, I'll have another helping. But yeah, so it was quite the shock when I turned up, and um, yeah, but it was exciting. Um, drove wow, straight yeah. there. None of this nonsense of meeting on Christmas day and going in a hotel and eating all the right things it was just rock up at half 10 for for a 12 o'clock kickoff Vomit. And yeah, yeah brilliant and, and there's some jelly babies as they always were in on the on the on the side as and, and i was chomping on a jelly baby when when i realized my name was in the 11 not on the bench so uh, yeah it's quite the day did you not? Uh, did you not kind of bring that in as your traditional pre-match regime uh, <laughs> day before every game just have, have a few counts <laughs> Philly boots. No? Bit of, have a drop of port about yeah. seven o'clock on the night before. I mean, yeah. this was Arsenal, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Clark taking been... it too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> is that all you had, Clarky? No, you had. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. But, but maybe I should have done. Cause it was arguably my best game actually of the of the nine that I had. Did in the you first set game. anyone up? Or... Uh, I set up a lot of chances in the game. Chucked in a couple of megs. Flicked it over David Bardsley a couple of times. What I remember from the from the day, apart from you know the whole buzz of it, um, was in the bath afterwards. And we had single baths in the in the in the marble dressing rooms at Highbury. And, and Martin Keown took a pew next to me in his bath. God, I'm so glad you said pew because yeah. I was really. <laughs> Yeah, just for, for anyone with a slightly crackly reception, that's uh, the sort of that's the seat rather than the yeah, echo. Okay, yeah. Right, and uh, yeah, and he uh, he looked me in the eye, you know, in a Keown steely way, and he goes, "Clarky," I was like, "What?" He goes, "You've just ripped one of the best right backs in England apart. Well done, son." Like that. And I just <laughs> that never never forget that. You never forget that moment when a naked Martin Keown gives it g- g- gives you that kind I of tried. prize. You tried that. <laughs> sorry everybody no thank you for that image and and so much more Adrian Duncan you love Boxing Day don't you because I mean who'll hit double figures this time because that always happens on on Boxing Day yep no I like Boxing Day football I just don't like this um, continued uh, eulogisation of Boxing Day 1963 so I wrote a piece on theanalyst.com this week about that very Set of score lines from 1963, which seems to have emerged in 2011 from a newspaper who decided to sort of dredge it up. And since then, it's been repeated every single year. And mm. I don't mind the actual day of scores, that's fine. But it kind of, if people don't know, it's Fulham beat Ipswich 10 1, and there were 66 goals across 10 games, which is, I can confirm, quite a lot. But people kind of use it now as this kind of 
um, window to the past, sort of like, look how better football was in the olden days. And, you know, the players just got out there. A bit like Adrian was saying, you know, eating jelly babies and turning up an hour before kickoff. It was a, a better time. But it, it was just a random day. The, all the seasons around it were pretty much, you know, the same sort of goals per game as us. You know, it's just a, a completely one-off, bizarre set of fixtures. I must admit, I've never taken that as being, oh, football was better back in the day. I just think, like, Boxing Day and also New Year's Day is a day when weird stuff happens in football. But if you look at the numbers, it doesn't really check Does out. Does it not? No, I mean, mm. there are there are some good things from Boxing Day. So I think people should focus on, on the more recent ones. Like, the oldest goal ever scored in Premier League history was in um, Boxing Day 2006, Teddy Sheringham. For West Ham against Portsmouth, that's that's pretty good. He was forty years old in two hundred sixty-eight days. Pretty pretty decent. I wonder how many jelly babies that took. Um, <laughs> only non-adults get sent off in Premier League history. Wayne Rooney, Boxing Day, two thousand and two, um, and that was also the same Boxing Day that James Milner made his Premier League debut, and he's still going. Probably going to play this Boxing Day. And then we talked about players not wanting to play on Boxing Day. Mm. Jack Rodwell. He's got the most Premier League appearances for any player never to have uh, played on Boxing Day, 167. So he Was really, that coincidence really... or did he used to pick up cards just ahead of... He just really enjoyed eating Quality Street. So, yeah, <laughs> configured it every season. So, right. Yeah. Did that Teddy Sheringham oldest Premier League goal ever, did it make the December goal of the month for 2006? I don't think so. Right. But... <laughs> <laughs> Duncan says, listen, I don't think so, but he's literally just watched December's Goal of the Month for 2006. Maybe you have too, because it's been quite the talking point along with the 1963 Boxing Day uh, fixture uh, and results uh, list. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on the reasons for that maybe a little bit later on, A eh, Nick Miller? But uh, first off, let's, let's talk about some of these games, eh, that uh, are coming up on December the 26th. Let's start with the Premier League leaders, Manchester City, who will be taking on Leicester. Man City, of course, already three points ahead of Liverpool with the opportunity to extend that this time with Liverpool postponing their game. Although Leicester won this fixture 5-2 last season with Jamie Vardy scoring a hat-trick. Uh, would I be right in thinking that Jamie Vardy unlikely to feature in this game after he missed the penalty shootout against Liverpool Wednesday with a hamstring issue, according to the club. Jamie Vardy, nine goal. Jamie Vardy is just the Premier League player. Ah, so are you now thinking, Duncan, you might just get away with this? Half a season to go. Duncan, any new listeners, um, famously challenged Vardy to reach double figures this season. Um, and Vardy responded with a, a massive opening set of goals. Or mm-hmm. a massive I think set he's got a T-shirt prepped. He's pinned, <laughs> pinned, he pinned the podcast up on the dressing room wall. <laughs> I, it's just very, it's all very, this is all very suspicious. He reaches nine and then suddenly he gets a mysterious injury and there's Duncan just kind of sitting there grinning away. I'm not pointing any fingers, but um, you know, where were you last night when Jamie Vardy uh, injured his hamstring? Duncan? Just in my underground voodoo cave. What of it? <laughs> just a weird old coincidence. Um, that 5-2 last season, just for context, is the only time that a Pep Guardiola side has ever conceded five goals. But do you remember after that game, it was it was officially Pep's lost it. This is the end of Pep Guardiola. Mm. He's got to move on, maybe take over Qatar. That's your only option left. But turns out Pep Guardiola came back and was good. Remarkable. There was Remarkable. Um, I did, I did 
gain a little bit of uh, sort of grasping a little bit of hope from uh, the uh, Liverpool Leicester game this week because I mean I think I think it was a point Daniel Story made uh, a couple of podcasts ago where he was talking about the, the way to get to Man City is get them early and score against them early and they just kind of lose the plot from there but they've only conceded one first half goal of the season mm. Leicester of course scored two pretty early against admittedly a kind of vaguely scratch Liverpool team but you know if if Leicester can can do that um on boxing day then maybe on we'll boxing have boxing day a, exactly yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. then you also, know maybe we'll have a game of it but you know, maybe I'm just being optimistic Riyad Mahrez has lost all five of his games on Boxing Day, which is the worst right. 100% playing record. His, so. Playing his Exa- former club as well. Exactly. The, evidence is, the evidence is piling up. <laughs> mm. Ferran Torres is doing one, apparently to Barcelona, for £50 million, Euros? Mm. He's a good two. player. Five million euros, yeah. yeah he's mm. a good player, isn't he? I'm, I'm, he's obviously just knocked on the door for Pep and just said, I'm not happy. I want to go home. Well, he seemed like he was going to be the next superstar at City at the start of the season. What happened? It's a shock to me. It really is because he got plenty of game time. He delivered goals. And then, to my knowledge, he got injured. So it's not as if he's been fit and consistently left out. But from what what I understand, he's unhappy with the lack of game time, wants to be a number one somewhere. You do wonder whether he's a bit homesick. Obviously, that that is an issue, and we've seen it before with Spanish players in particular. They haven't settled as well in in England as 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 people from other countries. So, yeah, it's obviously a combination of factors, and City are not 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 standing in his way, which I think is kind of admirable because the money to them isn't that big a deal, is it? Let's 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 be perfectly honest. You do wonder how Barcelona. Are, can justify spending that kind of money. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I want to talk to the credulous rube of a, a bank manager who's uh, lo- yeah. apparently yeah. lending Barcelona the, the money to buy Ferran Torres. I mean, you know, we need, need a little bit of work doing to the house. We have to wait. Theoretically, we have to wait to you know save up the money. But if we can speak to this guy, then we'll be I'd love quickly. to go back to the Maldives. Maybe I could get a little yeah. loan, loan from them on that. Yeah. Yeah, they can buy him, but they can't necessarily play him because they've got to yeah. buy him into the... So it's a bit like when you get a really good Christmas present, but you don't have the battery, so you basically don't have... <laughs> <laughs> can't use it. Cheers. Cheers, Mum. Thanks a lot. Well, supposedly uh, Aguero's retirement actually frees up a bit of a room here. I don't know what kind of... Uh, how how his contract rescission has uh, worked out, but anyway, that, that seems to be in line uh, for January. Uh, returning to Boxing Day's action, just to touch on Chelsea, who are still... Touching distance of the title race, six points back from City. But a tough game coming up on Boxing Day at tea time, away at Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. Yes, obviously Gerrard, a lot of history with Chelsea. Um, We're not going to mention you know what, but obviously nearly joined them in the 2000s. Mm. Came close. Also, what you do see in the Premier League, again, all leagues actually, is, is a lot of repeat fixtures on Boxing Day because I think they try and give, obviously fairly local, but... You know, it's not easy with geography. So Villa Chelsea is a is a fairly classic uh, Boxing Day game. Obviously, one of the all time classics was the four four between them at Stamford Bridge in two thousand and seven. Um, Gareth Barry scoring a a very late penalty in that game. Um, so let's just hope for uh, for more of the same. Four four in this game would would be uh, would be enjoyable. <laughs> well, yeah, it'd go against the grain for Chelsea to to score four, wouldn't it? Given their current form, they're, they're 
Villa have been really tight at the back, hardly given any chances away. Very low on the sort of expected goals against since Gerard took over, so they won't find it easy to break them down. And, and Chelsea have definitely flattened out, haven't they, as an attacking force in, in recent weeks without Mason Mount popping up to score goals. You know, they've been quite devoid, really, of, of inspiration, and, and they'll have to improve. Well, in terms of XG, the previous meeting between these two sides at Stamford Bridge back in September will we'll make interesting reading. Uh, Villa lost 3-0 that game, but they had 18 attempts to Chelsea's 12. What, what do you think is behind, Adrian, the, the, the fall-off in goal scoring? Is it just injuries or, or what? I think that clearly Lukaku and Werner's absence makes a, makes a tremendous difference. Werner in particular, even though he... We all know that he misses so many, but he stretches teams and he, he causes them an awful lot of problems. Um, th- their front line has been decimated, in, in fairness. Also, they've lost control in recent weeks, Chelsea. Chelsea are a team that Joy just division. dominate you. <laughs> yeah. They dominate you by pinning you in and they just keep coming at you. And you can't break them down. But but they've been a bit more fragile. And I think the reason they've been a bit more fragile is because in central midfield, they've not had Conte and, and Kovacic available as often as they would have liked of late. Obviously, it's been Jorginho and, and Loftus-Cheek mainly. And and that's definitely impacted it. They've been a touch one-paced. So without that sort of platform that we talk about, and also the, your best forwards available, I think that's, that's the combination really as to well, why that's makes, happened. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Are they going to slip to minus nine uh, behind the leaders? Quite possibly. Villa have obviously looked pretty good since um, Stephen Gerrard came in. I mean, it's just kind of. I just wanted to go back to the um, what we were talking about about the the kind of COVID and the player welfare situation. Stephen Gerrard said something quite interesting this week where he said we, we had a situation at the weekend where one of the players was kind of reluctant to get out of his car because he had uh, COVID symptoms. And you know, I know Adrian has kind of put a very hard line down on this, uh, you know, cancelling of games, but. It is, it is a, another consideration to to think of that, and and how this is all this whole situation is going to. I know we've been dealing with this for for a long time now, but how this situation is still going to be kind of mentally affecting uh, affecting players, whether they whether they actually want, even if they test negative for this, they, whether they actually you know, feel safe playing these games. So yeah, I mean, presumably there'll be kind of situations like that at most clubs. But it was kind of, I thought it was just quite interesting that I think it's a, ve- it's a very fair point. It, honestly, yeah. yeah. And if I was a footballer today, and you know, you got your parents aren't young, and you know, or you've got someone in your family that's a little bit more vulnerable, then being in a football environment where it spreads like wildfire is going to play on your mind. So yes, I think mm. psychologically, this is having a far bigger effect on the players than than we on the outside understand it's as simple as that I still think clubs should try and get games on because they've got enough pros to do it but yeah that that aspect of it is is tough on the guys but you know it's yeah the show goes on or the must go on let's go to our covid correspondent Duncan (laughs) yeah I was just going to add there's also the factor that you you can't tell how it's going to affect people like some Mm. people can have it and be symptomless Mm. speaking from personal experience some people can have it and feel pretty pretty grim so that obviously you can say ten days and then they, that player's going to be back. But if they get symptoms and they're, they're feeling rubbish, they might be back. We saw in Newcastle some of their you know some of their players were out for months. Kevin so there's no right or wrong, but yeah, it's it's going to be one of those seasons with with asterisks, isn't it? So. 
Mm, Asterix and the Premier League season. All right, next up, how about we get on to a bit of On This Day? Hey, why is it called Boxing Day? Nine Premier League games on? It should be called Football Day? Yeah, that old leftover turkey sandwich day. What? You definitely ate more than nine of them last year. Yeah. It's a feast for football fans on December the 26th, and Paddy Power's got a knockout offer just for Boxing Day. It's a completely free £5 bet builder to use on any of the nine Premier League matches on Boxing Day. Paddy Power! Pretty much online bet, but a bet's only in two plus legs. Maximum free £5 bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus big number away.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. December 23rd, listener, which you know and I know as the day back in 2013, that Tim Sherwood was appointed as Spurs manager. Later departing, not that much later, but May the following year with quite a couple of major achievements. How to unpack his legacy in a 60-minute podcast like this. You could cite the 59% win ratio, but also the gilet, which marks him out as one of the very few managers to kind of brand an item of clothing as being there. Tony Pulis with the cap would be another example. Um, Not sure how many others there are. I mean... Julian Nagelsmann and a uh, wide variety of kind of outrageous... Yeah, but River is Island. there one that that <laughs> is his? What did you say? Sea River Island. I mean, speaking uh, as a Wickham fan, I have to obviously mention Gareth Ainsworth, who has a yeah. has a fairly unique setup. He had some lucky red um, crocodile skin boots that got Wickham promoted, along with some other... Uh, events um, on that Duncan have you ever seen Gareth Ainsworth without that tight fitting dark navy shirt I ju- I, honestly I just don't think I have I don't, I don't know if he's got a set There's, of them or not he's, he's even done yeah. punditry in it yeah, I think it's it's very much an NFL thing where he generally wears the navy one but there's a there's a white one for sort of clashes but obviously normally <laughs> normally it's got the the kind of uh, how the leather jacket with a lot of frills on it as well which mm. Which doesn't look that warm to me, and obviously in, there's been some rainy games, away games, where he's looked pretty shivery because leather's not the ideal sort of, you know, it's not Gore-Tex, is it? So um, tell that yeah. to cows. Maybe he should go to Scott Parker's tailor because he's he's made right. himself synonymous with the padded blazer, which for me is a shocker. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just looks too tight, doesn't it? I, I don't know how you you guys feel about that. Yeah, it's got sort of fat suit overtones. In <laughs> um, moving on, I just wanted to shout out to Owen Coyle, who occurs to me as you know probably the preeminent short Cox sporting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Also on this day in 2011, Diego Simeone took over at Atletico Madrid. Speaking of managerial greats, that's mm. Simeone and Sherwood. Off the same breath. <laughs> They've uh, oh, they're on a rotten run form. Atletico Madrid. They midweek they lost two one to Granada. That's four defeats in a row. First time that's happened in his ten years in charge. Crikey! So, somehow, I, I think only a point ahead of Crisis Club Barcelona as well. Yeah, it's true. You know, 
yeah. quite an effort. Yeah, despite taking players like Antoine Griezmann and uh, that Luis Suarez from them as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, now back to the Premier League and Boxing Day. We'll see all sorts of drama at the bottom end of the table. Norwich and Newcastle currently bottom of the pile on 10 points. Burnley a point better off. And then just on the other side of the dotted line are Watford, who are a couple of points above Burnley. Newcastle then three points from safety. And they're at home uh, to Man United on Monday night. But situation for them complicated quite considerably by the fact that Norwich, their neighbours, have a game in hand on them. Watford actually have two. and We'll have three probably after this weekend. And Burnley already do have three games in hand on the Magpies. Right, Burnley are taking on Everton Sunday or a scheduled two. Watford's game with Wolves, we'll have to wait for that at a later date. Norwich, meantime, are taking on Arsenal. Adrian? Well, I think it's Arsenal will fancy themselves quite strongly. They're scoring a lot of goals. One thing I've really noticed in recent weeks, um, obviously I was away for a patch of it, but I've been catching up, is how aggressive they've become, how hostile they are inside the final third. They're really hunting impacts better than what they were earlier in the season. And it helps someone like Martinelli. So if you sit back and just play in front of teams, Gabriel Martinelli's not going to hurt anyone. Okay, he might dart in behind and, and score, but it'd be difficult to do that. But if you win the ball inside the opposition half, unexpectedly, before the defence is set, and he gets on his bike, he's one of the most, one of the most lethal young players I've seen for many years. So, so yeah, I expect Arsenal to be aggressive in the game, look to get about Norwich, he'll try and pass through the lines. And, yeah, hopefully it'll be a, a really, really good game. They're, they've got a terrible Boxing Day record, um, which is, you know, important, I think we, we've, we've established. Who do Norwich do? They've never won in the Premier League on Boxing not? Day. No, and, and, and Arsenal have got a really good record. Lost, I think, two of 23 on Boxing Day. So, um, yeah, for, for what it's worth... Arsenal um, histories on Arsenal side and I guess the form book is too and the other thing I just quickly want to mention is Norwich mm-hmm. haven't scored in each of their last three home games under Dean Smith tough games creditable performances but they haven't scored I just think it's natural that they're going to go all out to score they, they, they're going to want to please their supporters and I think we can expect an attacking mentality from them and hopefully a good game Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. 
and because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash Totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will give some cheer to all you Hammers fans when David Moyes signs Maran Fellaini to help with West Ham's latest injury crisis. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply and please gamble responsibly. Go on, Nick. Tell us about the 2006 Goal of the Month competition. Well... Uh, this is the subject of a piece on The Athletic. I should say that um, my colleagues, uh, I helped out a little bit on this piece, but my colleague Stuart James uh, wrote most of it. Actually, Stuart mm. isn't here, so I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i just take all the credit for it. So, uh, yeah, it was all my work. Uh, it's a piece about the 2006 December Goal of the Month competition, widely regarded, I think, as the best Goal of the Month uh, competition that anyone can really remember. Um, featured screamers such as Paul Scholes against Aston Villa, that one that mm. pinged in off the uh, off the crossbar from a volley. There was uh, a couple of stonkers from Chelsea at uh, Everton, one from Frank Lampard, and I think my I don't know if we're going to rank them, but my favourite was uh, Didier Drogba's. Um, right, if only for this sort of existential what? despair it seemed to inspire in uh, in Tim Howard when he. Uh, um, Tim Howard, I think, features on, on the receiving end twice in this quite extraordinary collection of mainly uh, long-range strikes, and I mean brilliant strikes. But they, they, it's all kind of thunderbolts from from distance. Yeah, Pre-XG, wasn't it? No one, no one knew what they were doing. They thought it was worthwhile. Right? Would you, Duncan, with your typically iconoclastic bent, <laughs> would you uh, subscribe to this notion that it was the greatest ever month of Premier League goals? I mean, it is a good it is a good selection of uh, of goals. I think for me, the best one is the Michael Essien one because the technique is is perfect. Lampard again. Back to Michael Essien to shoot. Oh, what a scorcher! It's against Arsenal, um, and he uh, hits it with the outside of his foot. I believe the move is called Swaz in the modern parlance, <laughs> but back then it was just called hitting the ball with the outside of your foot. It goes well wide of the. Uh, of the Arsenal's, uh, well, I guess it would be their right-hand post, the left-hand post to, to Essien, and then bends back in viciously. And it's it, aesthetically, it's perfect. But elsewhere in this competition, you do have, like, Matty Taylor's for Portsmouth, which... It's beautiful. It's yeah, not. It's just... It's a, it's a defensive clearance in the wrong half of the field. I don't... It's all right. I think it I mean, was number one. It's just too too violent that sort of goal. You want the you want the the beauty of the Essien one, or if you want the violence, as Nick said, the the Drogba one has a has a sort of raw violence, which is better than Matty Taylor's is a sort of violence in a pub car park on Boxing Day evening when it's all got a bit hectic. Whereas Drogba's is pure. I mean, I was gonna I was gonna say that this this goal in this competition is so good that when we were watching it before recording, Duncan did actually acknowledge that a couple of the goals were decent. <laughs> Right. So you know, if you can, he must have been some player, that. this Alexander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> Van Persie one, though. I think we all yeah. agree that the Robin Van Persie one Shouldn't doesn't really that. belong. It's, it's probably wrong. not even in the top the, ten of Van Persie. Yeah. The Paul Scholes one, though, as you say, it's a volley from some distance. But the remarkable thing about that is the way that the ball drops down as if from outer space. 
and he just still absolutely. I don't know. He didn't break his foot. He must have one, seen but. a tree in the behind the goal. That's the only inspiration that do he can you, get. Do you guys know who the current, which current Premier League player has the most goals from outside the box? Little quiz. Listener. Mm. Come on, Duncan. You must know this. Or are you, are you just being polite? Um, I'm thinking. I've got brain fog. It's. It's going to, have to be someone quite old. So this is overall rather than just this overall, season. Yeah, okay. overall. Kevin De Bruyne. No. Go on, Clark. Come on, tell us. Give me a guess. Not Trent. No, no it wouldn't be. Not James or Prowse. Um, it's going to. Shall I put you out of your misery? Please, please. Who's a clue? You wouldn't expect it. Uh, Hugh Lloris. He's not famed for scoring from outside the box. I mean. Could be anyone. Is it Harry Kane? It is Harry Kane. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Get in. Nick Miller, yeah, 21. Um, Ericsson's, right. got, Ericsson's got 23. Um, I'd say the best specialist at scoring mm. from outside the box in the current game is Riyad Mahrez. Um, he's got 16. And, and I guess I, I would hazard a guess that the percentage of his goals that come from distance um, is, is a lot higher than someone like Kane. Mm. Harry mm. Kane in leading goal scoring category. Shocker. Uh, Spurs, featuring Harry Kane, probably, will be hosting Crystal Palace this Sunday as Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira looks to do the double over Spurs. It was Crystal Palace's 3-0 defeat of Tottenham Hotspur way back in the opening... What was that? I think that was early September. Set Nuno Espirito Santo on the road to ruin. They'd had a brilliant start to the campaign. Spurs under Nuno winning their opening three, but... After Palace, nothing was ever quite the same again. Palace, though, haven't won a league game at Tottenham since November 1997. Why did they win that one? It was Christian Gross's first game in charge of Spurs. Just offering that up. Also this Sunday, West Ham up against Saints. Stop me if you want to drop anything on these. Adrian? Armando Brogia. Just wanted to give him a little, little heads up while he's flying so high. Um, I was doing. I was, I was searching for something else stats-wise earlier in the week and it shocked me I was looking at shots on target per 90 top two Mo Salah and Cristiano Ronaldo who pops up in third Armando Brogia remarkable really mm. um, so yeah he's, he, he loves a shot and um, and, he, and his strike rate is pretty good as well I think a goal every 155 minutes so yeah, he's someone to to keep your eye on he looks it looks a real real prospect I think, the, I think this could be a better game than we expect West Ham, Southampton, because neither team are as good defensively as as they have been, and I, I just think it could it could feature, I don't know, one or two mistakes, a few goals, I reckon. Mm. Saints, who are by no means clear of the wrong end of the table, they're six points off the drop at the moment, but uh, things can change so very very quickly down there. Burnley hosting Everton, who may well have Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, returning. Uh, they've only had one win in their last eleven, Everton, but he's. A uh, presence in the starting lineup, or even from the bench, would be a major plus. Scored in the first three Premier League games of the season, but has been out since with a, a succession of injuries. Uh, and the other game coming up on Sunday, as I mentioned, is Brighton against Brentford. We were talking about this game, or at least the reverse fixture in Monday's pod, because that was the one with the fewest shots of any Premier League fixture this season. 
which is surprising to me. I don't think of these two teams. I know Brighton don't score many goals, but I don't think of them not creating chances. But when Brentford hosted Brighton in the reverse fixture, there were only 11 shots between the pair of them. Do you anticipate similar returns? Should we all pile on the Swayze on Channel 5? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if it's a Swayze double bill, then that's, you know... You might. Have. You can, of course, record those for posterity, for your collection. I mean, thinking of Swayze films, you can imagine this could be a game that ends in a point due to a break, like point break <laughs> film. <laughs> I think of, of all the uh, the, the Alexander um, cultural <laughs> references, that's possibly the most spurious. <laughs> no. I should point that's... out that, that Brighton are on the longest run without a box right. and they win of any team in the top four division. So they, they, if there's one team that hates Boxing Day, it is Brighton. So. More than Norwich? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to go maybe, Duncan, when you were doing that long build-up, I thought you were going to go dirty dancing. Nobody puts Tony on a corner or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, maybe not. We'll move on. Uh, Brighton have given Newcastle permission to speak to Dan Ashworth about the vacant director of football role. Not, I mean, the role is vacant, not the director of football. They don't want to bring in a... (laughs) (laughs) They tried that, didn't they? <laughs> They've had Dennis Wise already. <laughs> oh, oh, crikey! Shots um, fired. You ninety <laughs> footballers. <Jesus. laughs> uh, Ashworth has been the technical director at the Amex since 2018. It was a key figure in the work of the FA that led to England winning the Under 20 and Under 17 World Cups. There you go. He's good. He knows what he's doing. Honestly, I think he's a really, really smart footballing guy. Brighton are a superbly run club. Lots lots of positives there. The one negative is that they've failed to sign goal scorers in recent years. And you'd say, well, is that on Dan Ashworth? But personally, I, I would imagine it's more a case that he's as frustrated as the Brighton fans are that that the players he's recommended have maybe been out of budget for Brighton. I just think that is the next step for them. They have to spend a little bit more to get the goal scorers in Brighton. And 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 if you are Dan Ashworth and the richest club on the planet are interested in you and you've got that frustration, you'd go and have a chat, wouldn't you? You just mm. have to. You might well do. All right. That's Boxing Day then and superb entertainment it looks uh, just on the subject of uh, superb entertainment in and around the 26th. The 27th of December uh, features Newcastle against Man United. Wait, what did you think I was going to say, Nick Miller? Well, is, uh, I don't know. Is there anything else on TV that that evening? That um, yeah, and you that, know what? It's on you know. Channel Five again. Oh, oh what? A, yeah, if you're not watching football, you're watching Channel Five over the post-Christmas days because um, it's true. I mean, now that you mention it, World's Strongest Man gets going on um, the, the heat one from Sacramento. And when I say heat, I mean heat. 42 degrees. Boom. Yeah. Um, that must make the big lads sweat a lot, I imagine. There was, yeah, there's perspiration all over the shop. Absolutely. What, what sort of um, large things are the uh, the big men pushing or lifting? Well, <laughs> you know, so good on. task for a big man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They, um, there's, you know, there's all the usual kind of your favourites. I don't know which your favourite is, but if it's throwing kegs over a very high uh, bar, then they do that you backwards. I mean, you know, behind their backs, they do. They lift up logs, and and the atlas stones are all there. The um, there's a couple of train based. If you like old oldie timey uh, western steam locomotives, there's a lot of that in this. Um, 
but one they had one train on a track which they had to do they usually you know the truck pull they did it with the train but it turns out trains move really quickly once you get them going on on the, so they rapidly had to stop that and invent it, uh, reinvent it as a train push which also went pretty quickly but at least they weren't getting run over by a large train <laughs> which would have made good time but anyway that is essentially why trains were good right so. yeah faster than a person on on tracks yeah yeah um, and we can, you know, confirm that. The, the, the key thing, if you're of a mind to tune in, the, I mean, storyline-wise, last year's, Nick, you probably recall, was a major shock with the uh, 23-year-old at the time, Alexei Novikov, the Ukrainian, who, who shocked everybody by winning. He's back again this time. The guy he narrowly pipped last time is the, the giant, equally giant, well, much more giant, in fact, Scotsman Tom Stoltman, a.k.a. the Albatross. Uh, who? Um, I thought that was Martin Keown at Old Trafford, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Martin Keown in the bath. So possibly. Uh, Tom, anyway, is gunning to lift the title himself after narrowly missing out in 2020. Also, though, bidding for the title is Brian Shaw, who's won four of them. He hasn't won it though in oh, is it five years now? I think, and nobody's ever come back from a margin that long, from a gap that long to take it, but. Brian, I have to say, going into this event, into this competition, looking in pretty amazing form. Could this be the year the man they call, well, they used to call Gigantor, and then he decided to change his nickname to the Evolution of Strength. Yeah, the man they call the Evolution of Strength. Could this be I mean, the year that he... If your cares? nickname's got four words, I would yeah. suggest narrowing it down. A He's a big guy. There's Gig- Gigantor and the Evolution of Strength are at least better nicknames than the Albatross. The Albatross, can you talk us through where that nickname comes from? No, Why is... Tom Solomon. His brother, yeah. Luke, who's also involved, uh, is the Highland Oak. Do you like that one a bit better? Yeah, yeah. I know what Nick great. means. The, the Albatross implies kind of swooping down, which you don't imagine. No, I think that. it's... Is it not his the extraordinary uh, wingspan that oh, he brings? Okay. Right. I would believe that's what it's about. I mean, obviously, Albatross has all sorts of connotations, you know. Mm. But, hey, anyway, that's on the th- 7 o'clock on the 27th, Channel 5, I seem to recall. But um, before that, it's Boxing Day. Before that, it's well, Christmas. Nah. Forget World's Strongest Man, pivot to World's Dullest Man, and some calendar nerds will tell you if Boxing Day, a.k.a. December the 26th, falls on a Sunday, then actually yeah. Boxing Day is Monday, but we don't want to go there because it ruins lots of football-related Why? fun. What? Why? What do you mean? Oh, why? technically, because it's on a weekend, they move Boxing Day to. Because Boxing Day is a Monday, but that's I hate that. So. Oh, but no, Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. For me and for many, yes. Wow. But honestly, okay. you will get some calendar nerds popping up, going, "Oh, actually, it's the twenty seventh this year." No one cares. Watch World's Strongest Man. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, listen. Uh, have a very happy Christmas and Boxing Day, whatever day it falls. Well done, Duncan for soldiering on today. Appreciate it. Nick, brilliant to have you on board. Adrian, lovely to have you back from your holes. And uh, producer Charlie, many thanks to you as well. Listener, thank you for making us part of your Christmas time. We'll be back on Monday. So do join us for that as well. But now from all of us here, it's Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) And Winterville. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts.
Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.